Well, hey, Bridge fam, my name is Marshall Peterson, and I'm one of the pastors here at The Bridge, and I just want to say welcome to our You're Not the Boss of Me series. We're halfway through, and I hope that you were able to see uh, Kenny or Matt Barnhill the last two weeks. If y'all can give them some praise hands, give them some clap emojis, because they absolutely blew my mind. I left those messages so encouraged, so challenged. You do not want to miss those, so go back and watch them, and I don't expect anything less from today. God has got an incredible word today. But before we get into today's boss, let's have a little fun with this series. It's called, You're Not the Boss of Me. So let's talk about some bosses, okay? Because if you're anything like me, you love shows, you love uh, movies, you love uh, reality TV, and we have seen some incredible bosses over the years when it comes to television shows or reality TV. And the first boss is this guy right here. Okay, Tony Soprano, the Soprano boss, okay? I'm gonna be honest with you, I've never seen this show, but I don't think that matters because I've heard of this dude and he's somebody you don't wanna disappoint or betray or anything, because he'll knock your head off, all right? Um, was that a New York accent? I don't even know. But uh, what about this boss right here? Gordon Ramsay, okay, the ultimate chef boss. He is seen multiple times insulting, yelling at people, to create the perfect dish. My favorite Gordon line is when he puts two pieces of bread around a lady's head, he goes, what are you? She goes, an idiot sandwich. Gets me every time. So, so funny. What about this guy? Not really on a show, but this is kind of the ultimate tech boss. This is Steve Jobs, okay? Apple has revolutionized not just the tech industry, but the world. They have absolutely connected everybody. You could FaceTime with somebody in Bangladesh, and I don't even know where that is but you can absolutely FaceTime with him. Um, it, Apple has just completely changed the world. He is absolutely, he's a big boss <laughs> in today's culture and society. Uh, but I couldn't get away with not introducing this last boss, who might be the best boss in cinematic history, Michael Scott, Dunder Mifflin Paper Company. We've loved his, his, his leadership style. We've loved his sayings like, I want people to be so afraid of how much they love me. Uh, I'm not superstitious, but I am a little stitious. I mean, the guy just knew how to run a paper company and we love, love, love him. But we've been talking about bosses, okay? Maybe you yourself, you've had some great bosses. Maybe you've had some bad bosses. Maybe you're a boss yourself. In this series, we've talked about maybe some emotions and different things that have been our boss, that have really just kind of ruled our lives. And so far we've talked about uh, anxiety, we've talked about addiction, and how they can just really overtake our lives, almost to the point where we just feel powerless. I mean, have you ever felt powerless because of your anxiety or because of, of an addiction? It really just ruins our lives. It ruins, it because they tell us what to do, they tell us what not to do, they impact our relationships with other people, and we just feel like, well, I've got to take care of myself, and this is what these emotions are telling us. We've got to take care of ourselves. We've got to survive, and we just think, I am powerless. This literally is my boss, and I can't do anything about it. So again, make sure you go back and, and watch those first two messages. But today's boss is we're talking about this, okay? We're talking about guilt. Somebody type guilt into the chat room. Guilt. Guilt is basically acknowledging when you've done something wrong, and I believe that there are all types of guilt. There's false guilt, you know, the kind of guilt that you haven't really done anything, but you just feel bad. You feel like you need to apologize for something you didn't do or something that's not a big deal. We're not really diving into that type of guilt today. The type of guilt that we are going into today is when you're actually guilty, okay? You've actually done something wrong. You've done something wrong to someone, and we just have this feeling of guilt where it does kind of overtake us. And the problem, the trick of guilt is what it does 
is that it takes what we did and tries to define who we are. So you cheated. You're a cheater. You lied. You're now a liar. And you stepped out. You are an adulterer. Whatever we've done, guilt tries to now put a label on us and define us. And it can get so overwhelming. Whatever you feel guilty of during that season or whatever you feel guilty of that weekend or whatever situation you're in, it just terrifies us so much. And the only way we can really combat our guilt is if we stuff it down way down inside and we just don't let it breathe. But every once in a while, guilt will come back to the surface and we kind of do all the same thing. We don't want it to define us, even though we let it. But what we do is we all come up with this narrative where we come up with an excuse, an explanation, or we straight up deny that we did it. And we kind of create this narrative, right? Something happens, guilt kind of rears its head and you say, well, I wasn't the only one. I mean, they were there too. Or, oh yeah, I, I did that when I was like 20. Okay, I was 25. Okay, it was last month, last week. Okay, it was yesterday and I'm only watching because I feel so guilty, but I was tricked into doing all of those things. We come up with this narrative. We all do it because we don't want guilt to completely ruin our rule our lives. But here's the hard truth about guilt. When we allow it to define us and when we deny it, that actually empowers guilt. And it then becomes the boss of us because it impacts other relationships. Because the truth about guilt is that we treat guilt like it's a debt-debtor relationship. We feel like we have taken something, so that we now owe somebody something. So whether you took somebody's job opportunity because you did something shady or you did something unethical, or you took somebody's chance of having a successful marriage because you were unfaithful, or maybe you took somebody's childhood because you left. And we know we treat it like a debt-debtor relationship because of how we use that term, I owe them an apology, or I need to make it up to them. But there's a couple tricks when it comes to to guilt. It it makes the whole situation tricky. And the first one is this, is that we really treat guilt not as a debt, but more of a weight. And we carry that weight. And what that weight does is it throws us off balance to where it impacts every part of our lives. It impacts how we parent. Maybe we over-parent because of something we feel guilty of in our past. Or maybe we're more of a permissive parent and we're just thinking, well, I don't want to kill their spirit I don't, I don't, because I feel guilty of what I did. I don't want to rob them of that. Or maybe it impacts how you in, are in a relationship. Maybe you're, because of your guilt, you're a little too aggressive. Or maybe you're a little too passive. It impacts everything in how we go about our lives because of this weight. It just completely throws us off balance and rules or is the boss over our life. And the second trick is this, we carry guilt wherever we go. And if we don't resolve this guilt, it turns into something else. And what it turns into is anger. Because at the end of the day, we're angry with ourselves. We're angry that we didn't live up to our own expectation. And the problem with anger is that it spills, it leaks, it goes into people who are around us. So if we're disappointed in ourselves, we're definitely disappointed in other people. If we can't meet our own expectations, there's no way anybody else can meet our expectations. And God forbid anybody points out our guilt or our anger in our lives because what happens is what we do is we throw it right back at them. We dish it right back out. And our problems, our guilt, our you know, sins or whatever, they kind of disappear into the sunset. And there, whoever is attacking us, their issues become very clear. And we are happy to point that out. Here's the problem. The ultimate problem with guilt is that it was done. 
You can't go back. You can't unleave. You can't un, be un, unfaithful. You can't undrink. You can't unsmoke. You can't un, or, or give back a marriage. It happened. It was in the past. You can't go back in time. It's part of your story. And unfortunately, guilt, it will define or we will find ourselves in denial. But what if I told you there's a third option? There's a third option that Jesus offers. And the person who sets up this third option, who, who gives us this incredible way to take guilt out of that boss chair and help us to live freely, is a guy who would be very familiar with guilt and shame. The Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul would live with guilt and shame more than everybody probably watching combined. He went through, this isn't just a philosophical idea or theory for him. No, he experienced the feelings of guilt. He experienced the feelings of shame. Because it, before he was the Apostle Paul, he was Saul of Tarsus. And Saul was committed. He was determined to get rid of anything that had to do with the name of Jesus. To the point where he captured Christians, he tortured Christians, even to the point of executing and throwing in prison innocent men and women who declared the name of Jesus. So Paul knows all about this guilt and shame. But he's going to give us this third option when it comes to handling our guilt and shame. When he met Jesus on the road to Damascus, it completely changed his outlook and his name, by the way. Saul, Paul, I guess God had a rhyming day going on that, that time. But Paul tells us this. He goes into Romans 8.1. He's writing to Christians in Rome. And this is what he says in Romans 8, starting in verse 1. He says, there is, therefore, there is now no condemnation. Therefore, there is now no condemnation. That word therefore, that means that there's something new, that there's something new that God is doing, something new that God is changing from our past. He says, there is no condemnation. There is no disapproval. There is not this cloud hanging over this. There's not this tattoo of guilty or cheater or liar or thief on our foreheads. He says, that does not exist. Whenever you and this is what he says, because let's finish the, verse, the rest of verse 1. He says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So that means when we admit our guilt, that when we no longer come with our narrative, with our stories, with our denials, trying to, to say, well, this is just who I am, by allowing guilt to define us, he says, when you come and you surrender to Jesus Christ, there is now no condemnation. Yes, you're guilty. You did that. We can prove it. But now there is no condemnation. You don't have this disapproval with God. He says, you now are in right standing with God. And this is how we know because we go to verse 2. Y'all look at this in Romans 8, 2. Because, because there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. And here's what that means. That means that, yes, we, we, we were under this law that, that we have been set free because we now follow the Holy Spirit. Because when we're a slave to sin and death, we really can't do anything. We're guilty. We're guilty forever. We can't really get unstuck. We are just kind of in this way that there is no way out of this lifestyle. We can't do anything. But he says, listen, because of Jesus, you now have freedom. You have freedom to choose now to live through the Holy Spirit. And this is what that looks like in verse 3. Y'all look at this. He says, for what the law was powerless to do, which think about it. Okay, let's, let's talk about the law for a second. Whether you're following the federal law, the state law, the laws of marriage, whatever that looks like, 
they set a standard. And if we're honest, it's a pretty low standard, you know, don't kill, that's, that's not asking too much of people, okay? It's a pretty low standard. But when we go beneath that standard, we now experience condemnation or even sometimes punishment. And it says, for what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh. The law has no power to do anything for this. We can't come out of that pit. We have a label now. We do have condemnation. We, we are defined by that. We cheated. So we have this on our record. We, we can't get out of that. But for what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did. Somebody type God did in the chat room. God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh or a human to be a sin offering. And so he was condemned sin in the flesh. You see, we couldn't do anything. But when God sent his son, that's, and here's a great thing. You know, you ask, why did God send his son? You know, God didn't just send his son to teach us how to live, even though he did. He didn't send his son just to show us how to love, even though he did. He didn't just send his son to show us what the character of God was like, though he did. He sent us his son so that we might experience freedom from guilt, that we are no longer condemned, that we are no longer in this stuck place, this powerless place, this rule of sin and death. But now we have this freedom in Christ, this freedom to live our lives, this freedom to drop the narratives, to drop the stories, to drop the excuses, that we can just now live free. Yes, I did it. I did something that I knew I shouldn't have done. I cheated, I lied, I drank, I used, whatever it is, we did that. But God said, you don't have to carry that anymore. And Paul figured this out. Paul figured this out. He says, there is now no condemnation. You no longer have to live under that banner of addict or anxiety or sinner. You now have freedom in Jesus. And you now have the freedom to move on with your life because there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So now what? Now what are we supposed to do with this? We just walked through this incredible passage that just screams freedom, that just screams chains breaking, and that's great, but what are we supposed to do with this? Here's what I want to do today. I want to give us four application points that are really going to help us take guilt and remove it from the boss chair so that we might live. And here's the first one. The first one is this. You can't condemn yourself because you're not yours to condemn. You can't condemn yourself. See, when you become a Christ follower, you give up your right to condemn yourself. Guilt is not your boss. You are not your boss. You have a brand new boss, and his name is Jesus. So you can look shame. When shame comes up and tries to get you down, tries to exert its power over you and say, you know what, shame? You're right. I am guilty. I did that. But you no longer define me. Jesus defines me. He is my boss. And he says, there's no condemnation. That was nailed to the cross. That is no longer on me because he took that and he declares that I am free. The second one is this. Your guilt will remind you, but it will not define you. See, you did it. You did what you did, but what happens is God steps in and says, you no longer are going to wear this label. You are no longer going to wear this label, but in fact, I'm going to use what you did to make a pivot. I'm going to pivot you from your guilt where you are no longer looking at what you did through the filter of guilt, but now you're looking at what you did and looking up with gratitude because of God's grace. That no matter what you did, God can still take and use in your life to do something incredible. You know, there's this, this story of Jesus 
he's sitting down and he's eating with some religious leaders and he's, they're, they're talking back and forth and this lady comes up and she's got a bit of a reputation and she anoints Jesus' head with perfume and then she starts washing his feet. Not with a bucket that she brought, she's washing his feet, which is the great act of service, with her tears. And Jesus takes that moment to teach the people that are looking at this incredible scene. He says, listen, those who, who have done great things wrong, they've done bad, bad things. When they see that they, have, they can have a relationship with me, they are so grateful because they know no longer do they carry this label or this reputation or this cloud of disapproval or disappointment or shame or guilt. But now they carry the banner of being in relationship with a holy God with Jesus, and they can now go and live their life in freedom. That was the second one. Third one is this. You give up your right to condemn others because that would make you a hypocrite. Nobody likes a hypocrite. A lot of people don't come to church because they think it's full of hypocrites. We've always got room for one more, so come on in. But listen, we don't condemn others because that would make us a hypocrite. And listen, tune, tune in for a second. If you are so judgmental of other people, I would wager that you're hiding a sin in your life, that you have spent all this time creating this narrative, pointing at something else, giving all this energy to something else or someone else, because you've got some big sin in your life that you are desperate to keep buried. And so the thing about people who have experienced this no condemnation idea that Jesus gives us, this freedom that Jesus gives us, because they look at their sin and they're so grateful for what Jesus has rescued them from that they can't even imagine it's not possible to condemn anybody else because who are they to condemn anybody based off what they did? Instead, they look at it through the eyes of freedom. It's no longer through a filter of guilt and suppression, but they are free. They know what they did. They know the consequences that they endured that they might still be enduring, but it does define who they are and they no longer have to deny it because they now live in freedom. And they know that if they do condemn somebody else, the only thing that that does is label them as a hypocrite. So we're not, we've given up our right to condemn others because it makes us a hypocrite. Here's the fourth one. You are free to restore relationships without expectation or excuses. Here's what that means. A lot of times when, when Christ followers do something wrong, they you know, go home or they've done something wrong to someone. They go home, they ad admit their guilt to God, and, and they experience freedom, and they're like, okay, I'm good. That's not the whole story. That's not what Christianity is about. Because now, yes, you have experienced freedom and you absolutely have God's forgiveness. But what that does is that gives you the freedom to now approach somebody that you've wronged and say, I'm sorry. And you don't have to come to them with your excuse, with your denial, with an argument. You can just say, you know what? I am guilty and I am sorry. And here's, here's the power of an apology. This person may be holding on to so much bitterness, so much anger that... God can use how He restored you, how He freed you, how He reconciled you. He might use that to release them from some kind of bondage that they're going through. That when all their, they might not even be looking for it, but you might show up and say, hey, you know what? What I did was wrong and I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. That might be all they need and just, woof, they can let go of their bitterness. Woof, anger, gone. And now they are free. They are free to live because of that. That's how powerful the grace of God is. It's not just for you. The freedom of God is not just reserved for you and your situation, but it has many ripple effects, great ripple effects that can free so many other people who might be going through 
some kind of bondage. Some kind, some, something is sitting in their boss chair that's ruling over their lives. And an apology might be able to free them of that as well. So here's a question. Here's the question we need to ask. Is somebody waiting for you to make the first move? Is somebody waiting for you to make the first move? To the point where your past and the shrapnel that you did to somebody or that they were a part of and they're just watching you and yeah, you experienced freedom and you're, you're going off. Maybe you got remarried, you got another job or you moved to another city and you're just living in freedom, but they are so hurt or so bitter that they can't move forward. And that really honestly, just an honest conversation with you without expectations, without excuses, without denying it, and just come and say, yes, I was guilty, I'm sorry, is an apology too far beyond? Is, are, is somebody waiting on you to make that first move? Or is pride stopping you from doing that? Let me ask you this, is pride the boss of you? Because imagine, imagine, imagine the freedom that not just you get to experience, but that you help other people experience because there is no condemnation. So what are we gonna do? How long are we gonna kid ourselves? How long are we gonna keep telling us this story? How long are we gonna live under the banner of guilt? Are we gonna come and simply admit it to God and say, you know what, God, I messed up. I have, I, it was all me. There's no excuse. I did what I did. I knew it was wrong and I did it anyways. I mean, maybe for the first time, you need to admit that to God. I can't think of a better day in April to admit, yes, God, I am guilty. I, I want to be free. This guilt is just, it's defining me. I'm, I'm so exhausted coming up with excuses and ex explanations and denials and just living lie after lie, God. I need freedom. I want freedom because I'm ready to live my life. I'm ready to restore my marriage. I'm ready to impact my kids' lives. I'm ready to succeed in my job, but God, I, I just feel powerless because this guilt is over me. Do you think we could just come to the honest conclusion that we're not gonna be able to get out of this, that the only boss that is able to free us from the boss of guilt is Jesus Christ? And again, if you've never made that decision, I can't think of a better time. And in fact, I'm gonna pray here in just a second, and I encourage you, just say, God, I'm guilty, and I'm tired of living with this condemnation. God, can you please forgive me? And watch what happens. Watch the weight that is throwing you off balance no longer there, where you're able to be on point, that you're able to be on mission. The mission that God, despite your past, despite your hurts, despite your hangups, is gonna get you to do something incredible. Would you just consider that today? Say, God, I'm guilty and I need your grace. Let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you so much for just who you are. God, thank you that you lived a perfect life, God, that you aren't guilty. But God, in fact, you are innocent and you are pure and yet you took on our sin. You took our condemnation and you took that out of our lives so that it can no longer rule over us. God, thank you for being our boss because you're a boss who gives us purpose, who gives us mission, who gives us freedom, God. And you don't just use our freedom for us, but God, you use our freedom for others. God, how creative you are. So, Father, I pray for the person watching that they, maybe for the first time, would just admit guilt. Say, God, I am so sorry. I've messed up. I am guilty. And I'm surrendering to you because you're the only one who can set me free from whatever situation I'm in right now. Thank you for saving me, Jesus. Use me now to live in my freedom and to help others live in freedom. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.